It is the Bob McCowan podcast with uh, yours truly, along with uh, John Shannon, as per usual. Um, that's a grimaced look on your face there, Shannon. No, I know. I would expect from a Leaf fan. Well, if I was a Leaf fan, that would be a grimace. Well, um, I confess to not being one either, um, but respectful of uh, the fact that we live in a town where Leaf fans are uh, predominant. You think? And you think? Uh, well, I mean, were you shocked uh, at, no. at at the result last night? No, neither was I at all. No, no. not 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 for Game Seven. Uh, I was shocked that it got to Game Five and Six, uh, but uh, by the time Game Five ended, uh, you could feel something really different about this series and. Um, Quite frankly, in my opinion, the Leafs just didn't match Montreal's intensity at any point in, in game six and seven. Well, how is that even possible? How is it even possible for a team that played as well as this team did during the course of the regular season? And that was no mirage. No. Um, how is it possible that you aren't mentally, emotionally ready for a playoff series, not just against a rival, because I think we make too much of that kind of stuff, but against a team that you beat comfortably, repeatedly Seven times. Seven over the times. course of the regular season, yeah. and that quite frankly can't match you in terms of skill set. Well, I, I guess you know, there, there's a couple of things that come to mind, uh, Bob. Perhaps the regular season was too easy for the Maple Leafs. Perhaps they started to believe that they're, you know, that they were uh, above and beyond the best team in this division, and uh, no one could challenge them. Um, the other thing I think is a little deeper, and I think it's, uh, I, I was, you know, it's funny, I, as the game ended, I was saying, well, this is all on the players. This is all on the players. Uh, but the longer I thought about it, it, it's not all on the players. It's not. Um, uh, this was a team that was built for the regular season. We always talk about, well, there's two different seasons. Playoff hockey is different than regular season hockey. The intensity is different. The, the intimidation factor is different. Uh, the toughness in the playoffs is different. Um, well, the Leafs have no toughness. Uh, and, and I'm not, when I talk about toughness, I'm not talking about cheap shots. I'm not talking about uh, fighting. I'm talking about the physical nature and the art of intimidation in the National Hockey League. And the Leafs have none of that. They, and they haven't had it for two or three seasons. Uh, and that's not on the players. That's on management uh, who have who have built this club uh, in a in a manner of speed, and they weren't that fast last night. Of style, and they have lots of style, um, but not necessarily built for playoff hockey. It's funny. So last night at my house, uh, I'm watching the Maple Leaf game simultaneously with watching Lou Lamorello's Islanders team win in overtime. And two of the most effective players for the Islanders last night through the whole game. They didn't, I don't think they put any points on the scoreboard, but they were effective and they changed the tone of the game were Matt Martin and Leo Komarov, two former Leafs. Uh, and, and that, um, uh, th that to me is, that to me is indicative of, something that needs to be addressed within the organization. It's funny, and, and, and I'm sorry to take so much time here. The one, you know, Brendan Shanahan, uh, 500 goal scorer, more than a thousand penalty minutes. I mean, this, guy's a, this guy was a tough guy. Mm -hmm. And he, 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 he made his name in the playoffs because he played tough. What the Toronto Maple Leafs, and what Brendan Shanahan's Toronto Maple Leafs don't have as a player is Brendan Shanahan. And that kind of player wins cups. And that's why his name is on the Stanley Cup as a player. But right now, there is like there was there was not one ounce of pushback at any point last night. If the if if Canadians pushed, the Leafs would skate away. And that's and, and you may you may agree or disagree. Well, that's not the way they play. That is the way you play playoff hockey. And like, I didn't see, I didn't see someone so angry last night as a Maple Leaf 
that they were losing. I wanted to see somebody mad. I wanted to see somebody prove something because I saw it in three or four members of the Montreal Canadiens through the last three games. I saw Brendan Gallagher mad. I saw Corey Perry mad. I, I, I saw Shea Weber mad. I saw people playing to the edge and not over the edge in Montreal. I never saw anybody in the Maple Leafs get to that edge, Bob. And I think that's a problem. And, I, and that's not on the players because, you know, that they, they have been taught that this is how they want the game to be played. That's on management. Well, I don't disagree with a word you said. Um, I mean, Felino was brought in, at least in part, because he can he can be. He's a character guy. He's character supposed to be guy, that type of guy. A tougher guy. Now he was hurt, so Badly. he was limited by what he could do. But the suggestion that they didn't bring in guys with that toughness is really not true. I mean, they did. They did. They did make an effort. I'm not defending them by any stretch no, of the no, imagination. No, no, but 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 those guys did not. They did not. I mean, you know, everybody everybody reveled in the first couple of weeks of the season that Wayne Simmons had changed the personality of the Maple Leafs, and he did. Wayne, uh, Wayne Simmons wasn't a factor. Well, and I saw uh, there was a comment either made last night on television or that I read last night, indicating that Simmons actually was one of the better Leafs and did his job. And I, I, I agree with you. Simmons was not brought to be a figure skater. He was not brought in to be a playmaker or a goal scorer. He was brought in to be a physical guy, a guy who mm -hmm. could potentially ram into somebody and, and hopefully turn a game around. It was none of that. Didn't have. I don't think it happened a single time. I have no recollection of a of a hit by him that was significant. Do you? No. Uh, but and and the other thing was it was quite visible, and in talking to a few people after the game last night, quite visible that that you know the, the big boys, you know Matthews and Marner, uh, to a lesser extent Nylander, who scored. He, he did what he was supposed to do through the series, score goals. Um, they were emotionally spent, emotionally spent. And I, I just, I, how do you, how do you create an infrastructure of a hockey club where your two best players are emotionally spent like that? Um, well, yeah, I want to raise another point here. It wasn't for, it wasn't for lack of trying, but I mean, goodness gracious, uh, 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 this is, you know, when you, when we sit here for years and years and say, okay, they're going to pay this guy $10 million. We're going to play this guy $10 million. Well, tell you what, you better get something for $10 million. Well, you better get something. Well, I look at you, you're preaching to the choir here. Um, the injury it, it, to it will be interesting, Bob. It will be interesting because there, there, there are a lot, a ton of parallels, Edmonton and Toronto, a ton of parallels, both hugely disappointing playoffs uh, for both organizations, in some in similar ways. Now it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how both organizations, how Kyle and Kenny react to what would be viewed as a, a, a cataclysmic spring. I, I see that. I see that parallel, but I mean, you'd have to acknowledge this much. The Toronto Maple Leafs are and should be much further ahead in that process. I think I think Edmonton. Why? Why, why should they be? Well, ahead? I think Edmonton still has pieces that they need to add to that puzzle. I think the Leafs have pieces. I think. Well, I but, think. I think. What I think the realization now with three losses in a row to Montreal, that and with the amount of unrestricted free agents the Maple Leafs have, albeit they're not high end guys, and 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 they're older guys. What do you do with Thornton? What do you do with Simmons? What do you do with Spezza? Um, well, you, you want the answer to, to that they, question. They, they, you don't bring any of them back. Well, I think I think you have to consider bringing Spezza back, but I don't think you consider bringing either of the other two guys back with no disrespect mm -hmm. intended. Yeah, I don't think you even you even you, you don't blink. And, and, and I, I I think when you look at when you look at again I'm, we're not talking about the Oilers too much, but when you think about the comparisons of Matthews and McDavid, Drysaitel and Marner, uh, Nurse and Riley. 
you know, there are, there are a lot of comparisons on what's going to have to happen and, 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 and how both teams are going to react to, uh, to the spring of 2021. Well, I would say Edmonton did not build a team that they thought was ready to win. They thought they built a team that was better with a new general manager, but not fi- not a finished product. The Toronto Maple Leafs thought they had a finished product. Yeah, and that's fair. And, no, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, right. And yeah, um, it it is finished um, because they're not playing anymore this year, and this extension of failure. Uh, in postseason is a demon that hangs over them. And you can say whatever you want about the long history. Well, we weren't part of that. We, you know, well, the last three years, um, this team has essentially, the, the nucleus of this team has essentially been together. And they have failed and failed repeatedly. But no failure was more dramatic, more emphatic, more definitive than this last one. Um, they, they demonstrated after a weak performance in game one, that they were the better team. They demonstrated that in games two, three, and four, and then essentially went to sleep, went to sleep offensively in the first two periods of every game, never came out with any energy, never came out with any determination, never, um, exercised their will against Montreal in any way, shape or form. And yeah, Carey Price played great, but he wasn't the he wasn't the, the fundamental difference. I think you would agree. A goaltender can stand on his head and win a series when you're badly outplayed. The Montreal Canadiens were not badly outplayed over the course of the series. You know, Leafs might have had a, a, an edge in territorial play, no. but it wasn't that but, great. Oh, listen, Price. Here's here's what Carey did that Jack Campbell didn't. Price made every save he had to make and a couple of more. Jack Campbell whiffed on the first goal last night. He whiffed. Yep. You know, and so all of a sudden the the balance changes. But here's a team, honestly, that I never thought we would ever say Montreal was faster than the Maple Leafs last night. Faster. That's not supposed to be. Well, so why? Is it because because the coach overplayed – the big line. Oh no, no, no! I, I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I, I actually. Oh, I think, think there's a fact. That's a fact. I, 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 no, I don't think it was anything physical. I think it was a hundred percent mental. I think that I, I think literally, Maple Leafs got to Game Seven with the fear of losing, and the fear of losing overwhelmed the desire to win. You know, and, and we, we've seen this. We see this in day-to-day life. We see it all over the place when the moment you become apprehensive, the moment you start to think rather than act instinctively, it is done. And well, that's exactly, in my opinion, that's what happened last night. I, I'm not disagreeing with you at all. But the, the, the reality is there will be people who will then say, or who have already said, yeah, well, that's normal if, you, if you're up 3-1 and then you have to go to game seven. It's almost impossible to turn That's it around. That's the difference between but, championship teams and teams that get eliminated. Well, you need only teams, go back. They yeah. put the pedal to the metal. You you only have to go back less than a week and see what Vegas did in game seven against Minnesota. Because the exact same scenario took place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vegas got beat in games five and six and had to play a game seven that they didn't expect to play or want to play. And dominated that game and won six to two, I think. Now, the stress of that seven game series wiped them out for game one against Colorado, but that's a bridge that the Toronto Maple Leafs would like to be on. So what do you do, Bob? If you're, you're, you're Larry Tannenbaum and you're the board, uh, are you, are you, Brendan Shanahan's is under contract, Kyle Dubas is under contract, Sheldon Keith's under contract. What do you do to those three guys? Well, what I do and what I think will be done are two entirely different things. Okay, no, um, no, no. I want to know what you would do. Well, I think every they all have to be accountable. And um, as of this date, the experiment that Kyle Dubas has put in place, and, and let me say this, I have nothing against Kyle Dubas. I, I quite like the guy. And I respected the, the decisions that he has made. 
because they weren't the easiest ones. They were contrary to popular theory. So I respect that, but it hasn't worked. I have said all along that you cannot have four guys in the seven plus million dollar salary range and win. Maybe you can have three. You seven certainly million. can have two of them huh? are over 10. Two of them are over 10. Well, that's my point. And you can make the Elander argument probably. that Elander was the best of the four. I mean, Tavares was hurt, so you don't you, you can't put him on the list. But Nylander produced. I don't know if he played better, but he produced better than either Matthews or Marner. When it well, tell you what, if Matthews and Marner have five goals each like Nylander, the, the Leafs win in four. Agreed. <laughs> Having said that, um, I do not put Nylander's skill sets at the same place that I put Marner and Matthews under normal circumstances. And I would not have signed Nylander. And if I'm going to, you can't trade Tavares. He has a no trade. Um, are you are you interested? And I don't know what the other two contracts are. They but, have limited no moves as well. Okay. Nylander doesn't, I don't think. No. I, I don't think he has any limitations. I, I think I think you gotta you gotta rebuild this thing. And maybe you rebuild it out of necessity around Tavares, Matthews, and Marner. But I don't think you keep Nylander. And it's not a criticism of him. He was their best player during the playoffs in terms of goal scoring. But there are things about his game that I don't like. And he sh demonstrated them last night. He he thinks oh, no. he thinks I, himself I no first. Him. He thinks himself first and pass second. And I there were, no oppor there were, there no were opportunities last night for him to make passes to open players in front of the net at least twice. And he went for a skate to try and create something himself. Now, that's not the end of the world, but it just demonstrates um, something. And and frankly, you're not going to trade the leading goal scorer in the NHL. I don't think that's ever been done in history. Well, maybe Gretzky, huh? I don't remember if he was the leading goal scorer that year. But he probably wasn't, but close. Well, but he was close. And Marner... I said to you and to Kiprios yesterday, I asked the question, is Marner hurt? And, or is Marner just pooped? Because he wasn't even remotely the player that we saw over the course of the year. He, I think he Marner was, was emotionally spent. I think Marner was emotionally spent. I think, well, I truly believe that it was. He was physically spent too, because the moves that he made during the regular season to get him out of trouble and be able to make plays mostly to Matthews were absent last night. He, he coughed up the, the puck on, on the first goal at the blue line. You know, those are the kinds of things you didn't see. He didn't make critical mistakes. Yeah. i tell you what, I, I, I yeah, everybody should, I mean, the, the organization take a step back. They should, you know, wait a week because you, you don't want to do anything and be, be reactive emotionally. And we know that that's, what's going to happen. But I seriously think that it makes some sense to move one of the big four. I, I agree with you. That's what I'm saying. And the guy that I would move is Nylander. But, 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 I, but I don't think it's Nylander. Well, then who is it? It's not I'm Tavares, so it's Matthews or Marner. It's a good so therefore, yeah, begin, you can't move, you're not going to move with Matthews. An you're going to move Marner. Right? I'll tell you at the end of the show. No, tell me now. I'll tell you at the end of the show. A tease. Now, mind you, it's a tease. It's only John Shannon's opinion. That's uh, right. That which, by the way, about six dollars will get you a copy. Which, a, which a by the way, for the last twenty minutes, you you've said you're not wrong about sixty-eight times, but that's okay. Well, you're not wrong so far. <laughs> I, I'm predicting. I'm predicting. We all know the answer to the question. Okay. Um, we'll get the opinion of someone else. Uh, sure. Mark, Mark Curtin was a member of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs and Vancouver and and Detroit and Detroit. And Detroit. Yeah. And um, if you don't know Mark's story, we'll tell you that as well. Um, he is next when we continue on uh, this program after these messages. Bob McCowan, it's uh, John Shannon. We return to the uh, program, and we're joined by um, 
a former member of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Mark Curtin is with us from uh, Oakville. Well, you uh, you had a chance to watch last night's, for lack of a better term, debacle. Um, you are old enough to have seen, like John and I have, more than a few of these. Um, were you first of all were you surprised at the outcome, Mr. Curtin? No, I not really, not really, Bob. The uh, when you go into a game seven against Carey Price. You know what? There's got to be doubt in your mind. You know, there's no question. And he was getting stronger and stronger as that game went on. As as the series went on, he was getting stronger and stronger. So I think going into game seven, um, you know, I sort of anticipated a similar start to like game six was, where they were up tight, holding their sticks a little bit tight, and you can't play that way, you know? And then as soon as you fall behind it's even tougher because you get tired faster, more doubt slips into your mind and it just gets tougher and tougher. So uh, was the outcome a surprise to me? No, not really. I, I felt that they had to get that first goal or the first couple goals so they would relax and play their game and it didn't happen. So it was a battle all the way and it was tough to watch. And now we've got a, we've got a city that's crippled. Yeah. Well, hey, so, so Mark, I, I, I mentioned to Bob in the previous segment that um, I, I don't believe the Maple Leafs approach to playoff hockey is the way it should be. I, I think there needs to be a little more toughness in the lineup, a little more aggressiveness in the lineup. Where, where, where do you sit on that? You know what? I, to be honest, did you watch the Boston game? Like I flipped over to the Boston game and granted, the atmosphere was different. The you know, place was full with fans and all that stuff. But you know what? That team knows how to win. They know how to win. Their core knows how to win. And I think until we win a series or two with our core, we're going to have the same thing over and over again every year. And and because uh, Boston, I mean, that line, um, I mean, are they winners or what, those guys? I mean, when they, well, they get it. They, now they lost in overtime last night, but they came back uh, two down. Uh, so, so I don't know if it's, I, th I think there's two things. One is the core needs to learn how to win. But I think that if we look and see what Montreal did, they had a couple of young guys in the lineup where we had older guys, right? And their young guys that came in played very well. And, and our older guys we're okay. So I'm not sure toughness is it, John, not in today's game. I just think that, uh, um, I just think, you know, it's something that we just have to learn to do our core. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned Carey Price and, and his performance, his performance aside, uh, um, Kiprios was with us yesterday. And I asked him this question. If as a player, when you, when you know that the, the goaltender, on the other team is acknowledged as one of the best in the game and has a history of stealing games, winning literally games all by himself. Like how much tighter do you grip your stick? How much more time do you take trying to find the, to create the perfect shot rather than just firing it on the net? And I'm intrigued by your perspective as a former player of that. You know what? You're bang on, you're bang on. Like there may be players that say, oh, no, it doesn't affect me. I'm, you know, but it does. There's no question, especially, especially when he's made a couple early saves in the game. Then you really start to think about it. But let's think about this for a second. You've got Carey Price in net. He's getting stronger and stronger as the series goes on. And then you've got a team that collapses. So in other words, when the puck's on the point uh, or on the outside perimeter, uh, you know, five Montreal guys collapse into the slot. Listen, when I coached minor hockey or rep hockey years ago, and I played against a team that was better than us, I used to have my five guys collapse in the slot all the time. Do you know how many legs there is to go through to oh, shoot? Sure. That's why there's so many blocked shots. And, uh, and so then if you do get a shot through, you got Gary Price there. So it's a whole bunch of things. And I knew when we were up 3-1, 
I knew that, boy, we better win that next one. And worst case, six. Because going to seven, I would have bet the house, unfortunately, against us. It's just the way it is. Well, you're, you're, uh, you're five, uh, five guys down low. Sounds very much like your old junior coach, huh? Roger. <laughs> Roger Nielsen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know what? Right. Yeah, absolutely. We were laughing about it the other day, actually. You know, I, Roger, anybody that comes out of Peterborough can play a 200, 200 foot game, right? Running four lines and Dick Todd and Keenan and all those guys. But uh, boy, Roger sure put a defensive checker penny penalty killer uh, tag on me, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, gosh. And then I'd go down to the American League and you get 70 some points. And I call Roger up and I say, how come, how come when I come back up, I'm, I'm a checker again, you know, but that's, that's the way the game works. Right. You and you, you and Jimmy, Jimmy Jones. Yeah. Well, that's, hey, a whole hey, nother, that's, that's a whole nother story, John, because if uh, back in 1978, when Roger drafted me, I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to be on a championship team here because they lost to Montreal four straight, but nobody in the world was going to beat Montreal then, right? Mm -hmm. And and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to replace Jonesy because I got a little more offense, and uh, this is going to be great. And then Harold jumped in and absolutely destroyed our team. You know, just destroyed it. And then, because uh, that team was only about two players away from challenging, you know? Sure. sure. What was it like, it, it just being a local guy, Southern Ontario guy, what was it like to play for the Maple Leafs and, and what was the pressure like? And, and I know this is, we're in 221 now um, and, and it's 1978 or 79. What was the pressure like to play for your hometown team? You know what? I was in such a different space mentally that it didn't bother me at all. Not at all. And, uh, um, you know, I remember Roger, when I got drafted, of course, back then I was sitting on my front lawn when I got drafted. Quenville was, uh, they didn't have a first round pick. So Q was, was second round and I was third. And Roger calls me right away and he says, I just want to warn you. He says, you know, the press here in Toronto is really tough and they're going to be calling you because I drafted you and all this stuff. So he was prepping me and everything. And so, you know what? I just didn't want to let him down, guys. So I worked out so hard that summer and uh, went in in phenomenal shape and, uh, and, and had a pretty good camp um, and went down to the minors where there was an older team down there and a whole new set of stories from that team uh, with Eddie Johnson coaching us and sure. him and Pat Quinn fighting at center ice and all <laughs> those stories. And you know what? I, I, when I got, when I made the team in my second year, um, I just, you know what, for some reason, I didn't feel the pressure. I don't know why. It had nothing to do with hometown or anything like that. I was just so ultra focused on doing what I could do to stay there. So I, yeah, I it's kind of a interesting answer, but I, I didn't feel pressure. Um, I must ask you, um, Everybody who is a, a Leaf fan, even a hockey observer, is armed today with an opinion on what is next for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that's, it's interesting, Mark, because the last couple of years, I don't think we felt that way. The, the, the consensus sort of was, um, you've got this nucleus of young players that is very talented, they're building, they still need a couple more pieces, etc., but this was the year that Kyle Dubas put the pieces in place, the pieces that he wanted virtually without limitation, I guess some limitation because of the salary cap, but he put together a team that he thought he could win with. And now they have failed to do that. And we're going to spend the next several months, I assume, assessing what you do next. If it was you, what would you do? Boy, oh boy, it's, it's a tough one. And one thing you said that resonates with me, and I agree with you, is that we really didn't think we were going to be in this position, were we? Mm. Like talking about this, because mm. I actually thought they'd come out of the North, no problem, and I was going to bet the house on it. But so now, this has just whacked us. 
like, I don't know about you, but I mean, you know, I, um, like I bleed blue and white. I want them to win bad. And, and it bothered me. I hardly even slept last night. I was so upset by it, you know, as, as all of Leaf, Leaf Nation was. So I, I think one thing they can't do is just react, right? I mean, right, it's the, it's the first thing that pops in your head. You want to react. You want to get rid of this guy. You want to get rid of that guy. But, and I, I don't want to give you the token answer that they're probably giving you, but at the end of the day, you really do need to sit back and say, what went wrong here? What went wrong? And, you know, I have to give Jack Campbell credit because going into it, I wasn't sure that he could hold the fort in, in, in the pressure, uh, pressure. But you know what? He kept him in game six and uh, game seven. He played pretty good yesterday. He, the first one he should have had, I think. But you know what? He, he kept them in. So, Bob, I, I don't know the answer. I don't know whether it's, uh, um, you know, I think the management has to be looked at too, not just the players. You have to look from the top to the bottom because I don't know how many years Shanny's had there. I was at five. I don't know. Can't six six yeah. years. Um, you know, I don't know what goes on in the dressing room. Um, actually, I should call Pappy, I guess. Then I'll get the scoop. Then I could have answered it better. <laughs> but, well, you but, don't want to get Brian and Jay. You know, no, you I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Pappy, <laughs> Pappy doesn't say anything. But, uh, <laughs> but, you, but you know what? Um, I think every bit of that organization needs to be looked at. And you're right. We're going to talk about this till we're blue in the face. But changes, well, they brought in older guys. But you know what? There's some... When you bring in older guys that have won, that's good for the room, good for the culture. So you have to have that. But I didn't think that those Montreal guys, those two young guys, what's his name? The guy, uh, Caulfield? I mean, Caulfield think, about and damage, many, yeah. think about the damage those two guys did, mm -hmm. right? So maybe mm -hmm. that's the, the prototype. You know, you bring in uh, Robertson and who else do we have that's young and good? You know, inject that. So I, I don't know, guys. It's... Listen, Marner and Matthews aren't much older than Caulfield. No, true, but Caulfield yeah. came in at the end, right? Yeah, he did. He came out of Wisconsin. Yeah. Well, see, that's what I mean. Because when you're injecting the team with a couple guys late in the season, that's always helpful, too, by the way. Bringing in a couple guys. I remember near the trading deadline or whatever, you bring in a couple guys, everybody looks at each other and goes, wow, this is great. Yeah. Which, which reminds me. Uh, my junior year in Peterborough, Gary Green was coaching, went to the Memorial Cup, and we were sitting at Maple Leaf Gardens uh, getting ready to play the Marlies. And uh, Keith Acton and I and Crowder are sitting beside each other because we knew Gary Green had recruited some guy from Michigan State. So we're sitting there, and we weren't a very, we were tough, we weren't that tough of a team, right? And we knew we needed some toughness. So in comes Gary with Jeff Brubaker on his wing. This guy came in like a mountain and he was, uh, he was like that Buford Pusser or whatever that guy's name was walking tall. He yeah. came in and he went around and he started shaking all our hands. And, and I said, to Acton, I said, Woody, our problems are all over. I said, you know what? I said, we have no more problems. I said, the only fight's going to be between me and you who gets him on his wing. And I got him. <laughs> So you see, you know what? We got him, and then we breezed through Hamilton and the Seacords and Coolis's and uh, Ottawa, Bobby Smith. We just went right through. Sure. So one little tinker can do it if it's the right tinker. And that's Hold what on. we so, so with that's, the Leafs that, as well. That's, that, that's, uh, now that, that sounded like a, the, the Peterborough Peets added a little toughness, Mark. Uh, memory, sure, you know, I mean, so... I'm starting. I think you're coming around to my side of this argument now. So, well, <laughs> yeah, you know what? I kind of did, didn't I? But, but you know what? You need the right tinker. That's what I'm saying. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, but you need the Leafs. The Leafs brought in guys who they purported uh, would be tough and who weren't. Well, who didn't yeah, we don't know if they're hurt, themselves. Bob. We don't know if like it looked like Nick. It looked like well, uh, Nick was hurt. Yeah, Nick, Nick was, was on one leg. Uh, Nick was on one leg, Mark. You yeah. can tell. You can just see it. I'm going to throw something out there that crossed my mind about halfway through that series, too. Um, 
you know, it, it, it appeared to me a couple, a few times where our core was getting tired. I don't know if you guys noticed that as well, but you know, the core, when I say the core of Matthews Marner, mainly, I thought Nylander played very well last night. Um, but the two guys look tired at times. So you almost wonder whether their minutes were too much too. Well, they were getting 26, 27 minutes yeah. and, and uh, Riley played, I don't know. I didn't even see the total, but at 30 to 32, oh, yeah. 35. Yeah. I mean, I just don't. And, and that was hap That happened in games five, six, and seven to do well, it one night all. is one thing to have to do it every other night for, for, uh, three games and five nights. That's pretty tough for anybody. Well, Bob, and yes, and the fact that the series is slowly slipping, right? Yeah. So let's put that in your brain for a second. And I'm going to tell you, you get tired way faster when you're coming from behind. Of course. Series is slipping or you just can't get a hockey god break. And they couldn't get a break. And then Not sure definitely. enough, they get a shot that bounces off uh, what's his name's knee and into the net. Corey, so, Corey Perry. Yeah. By the way, uh, Riley last night twenty six seventeen was his ice time. Bob. Wow. That's all. Yep. Yeah. The, the overtime games, more. he might have been over thirty, but. Wow. That's a lot less but than. Bottom I line, I felt guys, like he was out there. The all core the needs to win. The core needs to learn to win. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a break, and we're gonna tell you a little bit about um, Mark's. A personal story and um, we'll do that after these messages Bob McCowan it's uh, John Shannon with you uh, Mark Curtin is with us former Leaf former NHL uh, player tell you and what he's the best analyst we've had on this week so <laughs> well uh, principally because um, he started to side with you and your opinion that's an I know e that's excellent point Robert excellent point well I know that's the criteria <laughs> for you <laughs> uh, but I'm not arguing the point. His analysis has been uh, has been pretty accurate. Um, a few years ago, you uh, got a shocking diagnosis uh, that um, uh, you had ALS, um, better known to some as Lou Gehrig's disease, um, a disease for which there is no uh, no cure, and a disease that is I I gather from what I've read. Uh, starting to affect you in a variety of physical ways. Um, were you, I, I can't even imagine, none of us can imagine what, what this is like for you, but I must ask you how you, how you dealt with it in the early days. I, 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 I sort of can understand that as you, you must come to terms with it over time, but the shock of that initial diagnosis must have been horrific for you. You know what it, it was, and uh, uh, but it, but it was gradual because in 2015 is when I had my first symptom, and I was sitting on a beach in Bahamas reading uh, Bob McKenzie's book, and I was actually reading Coley Campbell's chapter of when he almost died. I don't know if you guys were familiar sure. with that in the tractor. story. Pardon? In the tractor. In the tractor, yeah. And uh, so I called him and he said, and we talked about it. And, and then I told him, my, my right arm won't stop twitching. And, and I said, I, I don't know what the problem is. I said, I didn't work out or anything like that. And he says, well, you better get it checked. And so I, I started to, uh, um, you know, my, my right hand started getting weaker. And I remember golfing with, um, with uh, Boudreaux, Gabby, and uh, I, my, I, I couldn't squeeze my golf cup that well, and it would, it would slip out of my hands. And, uh, and Gabby, of course, wouldn't give me any strokes, the bugger, after nine holes. So, you know what? Fast forward, um, I had, you know, a little fall here, a fall there. Uh, the dumbbell curl would fall out of my hands. So I did a whole bunch of testing for three years and I actually thought I had Lyme disease because it came back positive and it mirrors uh, uh, Lou Gehrig. And I had a positive test out of California, but then I found out that 80% of the tests are positive out of there. So that wasn't the case. So I went to the Mayo Clinic in Arizona, infusions, uh, blood work, natural pass, rheumatologists, everything. 
And finally, in 2018, three years later, almost to the day, uh, Sunnybrook diagnosed it as ALS. And uh, that's a tough one. Lisa and I were in there and, you know, your whole world crumbles in like 10 seconds. And, and so you, you, you know, you get out of there and uh, you look at each other and say, where do we go from here? And uh, of course, then he tells you the lifeline is, uh, you know, two to five years, which I told him that uh, that's fine if that's the averages, but I plan on, I'm not following that guy's line. I gotta be around a lot longer than that. So the tough, the first thing we, we thought of is how do we tell the kids? And uh, then we got through that. And then, uh, and then it started to spread around me like a clock. It went from right arm to left arm, to left leg to right leg. And uh, uh, as it was moving around me, but, but let, me, let me back up. When I got out of Sunnybrook, I just looked at myself in the mirror and said, okay, you have two choices. It's a humbling, it's a horrific diagnosis, but you can either go in the corner and get depressed and cry about it, or you can just you know, stand up and face it. It's a card you've been dealt. And I promised myself my personality would never ever change. And if anybody tried to feel sorry for me or pity or anything like that, I'm gonna stop them in their tracks because I wanna be chirping and I wanna chirp people. I want them to chirp me. I don't wanna change whatsoever. And, uh, and that's how I decided to, uh, to move forward with it. So it, it's been a tough, um, it's been a tough uh, route at times, but um, uh, to answer your question, uh, Bob, yeah, I just, I just decided I would, I would face it uh, head on. Now I understand uh, Mark, you're on, go ahead, John. No, Mark, are there days that you think you're a victim? Um, yeah, I suppose. When I have, uh, because there is no cure for this, and they really don't know what causes it, uh, I, do I go, why me? Yeah, sometimes I do, but not a lot, because I don't allow myself to get depressed. And, uh, you know, even though the impact is on my life, the impact is really on my family, too. Like, people that say, oh, he has ALS, and what have you, sort of the family that has it, too. And uh, because as I weaken, they're an extension of me, right? So like if I can't do something, they're, they're right there on the front line to help. And uh, so I'm so proud of them uh, to be near me around the clock when I need it. But I have, uh, do I, you know, yes, I'll have some down times, but I don't let anybody see it because at the end of the day, if I'm down, everybody else is down. If I'm up, everybody else is up. And it's just not in my DNA anyways. I mean, you know what I'm like, John. I, I, I'm, not, I'm always up trying to be upbeat. I am made to understand that you um, are, I believe, currently on some medication. Um, I believe it's Asian medication, uh, Japanese, I think, that um, is supposed to mitigate the onset of the, of the, the symptoms. Um, how have you found that? And um, yeah. do you feel like that is... Can you tell if it's working? Well, you know what? It's, it's a really good question because we have a little bit of debate here at the house on it. But uh, first of all, there is two treatments that are out there. One is called a Daravone from Japan. Yes, I've been on it. As a matter of fact, I just started my 305th treatment. You can believe it. Over 29 months or whatever it is. And I go on this treatment 10 days a month. And it's just, uh, it's just an IV into the uh, arm um, for 10 days, an hour. And my daughter, who's 16, actually does it. Um, wow. Now, the other, the other one is just, uh, uh, just a couple pills a day. But what I was going to say is, when I started going on a Daravone two, and a, two years and a bit, um, my legs were strong as could be. You know, I, I only had it in my right arm. But since then... It, it's really hit my legs hard and uh, basically they're fried. Um, so my wife thinks that, you know, what would it have been like if you didn't go on the treatment? Mm. Maybe, maybe your legs would still be okay. But my response is, 
well, if I didn't go on the treatment, maybe it would be in my front by now where I wouldn't be able to breathe or swallow or eat or talk. So you know what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I'm staying on it because if it stays in my limbs and, and even slows more and stays out of my front, then, then I, I'm still in a win position, you see? So, but, but you know, we need, we need more than that, not just the... Uh, not just the two treatments. I mean, there's there's 160 uh, drug companies around the world that are in the ALS space right now, and there's 80 trials that are going into phase two and phase three. So there's a lot of positives around the world. Uh, so when they get that magic potion, then the, the trick is to get it into our bodies fast. And and Bob, I will tell you that when Adaravone finally got approved, actually, sorry, when it, when it came across into the States and the FBA approved it and then Health Canada approved it and then Provincial approved it, do you know how long that took? Two years. Yeah. So think about it. They get a magic potion in the States. You think I got two years to wait for that? No. So that's one of the, the, the three major asks that um the als communities uh, fighting for government faster pathways so we can get drugs into us as soon as they get a, uh, a good treatment and it's a struggle well one of the dilemmas that i'm sure you face let me ask you this straightforwardly if there was an experimental drug that you were allowed to take but had no guarantees no idea what if any side effects would take place would you take it? You know what? The way I am right now, today, I would probably want to research it more and more and more and more mm. before I made that decision. But if I get to the point where I'm losing my voice and I'm having difficulty breathing or something like that, I'm all over it. I'm all over it. Oh. But right now, my life is now now i will tell you that a lot of these treatments one in sunnybrook as a matter of fact that looks like it's going to be very positive would i try that um you know what i can put up with the side effects um i would just want to know um how dangerous it could be if i took it i guess of course at the, at the stage i'm at right now but if i worsened then I, like I said, I'd be all over it for sure, hundred percent. But good question. So, so this is uh, June is ALS month in our country. Um, there's the uh, uh, June twentieth is uh, the, the walk to end ALS. Uh, tomorrow in Major League Baseball, June second is Lou Gehrig Day, which is, I, I think, a, a, a dramatic move from Major League Baseball to acknowledge what has gone on with the disease. Where, where do you think we are with awareness of, of ALS, Mark? Well, I'm going to tell you, June 2nd, in my mind, is the biggest, biggest day ever for ALS. Because don't forget, it's been 80 years, 80 years, I think, since Lou Gehrig uh, passed away of this. And finally, 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 MLB, who in, in some respects, I think that they should be accountable because he's one of theirs. And finally, they've, they've come up to the plate with, with uh, the greatest awareness day ever. And uh, I think to have our story uh, heard across Canada or across the land and have it resonate with people to rally to our cause is, is like never before. And so, you know, if it's successful and the awareness is, gets out there and, and the general public understands more about this illness, and gets behind our back, well, maybe that's when the government will stand up and take notice and they'll facilitate instead of frustrate us, right? So it's a huge, huge day. Um, the donation stuff is the end of the month, but the awareness of tomorrow is a day we're all looking forward to. Um, and I, I just think it'll get stronger and stronger each year. But what I'd like to see happen, guys, is that like I, it's a whole nother conversation, but 
I have a list of 75 former athletes that have had ALS or have it. And I did that list in two hours. Okay. So it's a very, it's a crazy list. And I'm going to tell you, there's about 40 of them that are NFL football players. Right. So if the NFL doesn't stand up and look at what MLB's doing in June 2nd, there's something wrong. So I think the NFL has got to look at this and say, hey, we got a lot of guys too, and, and have a Sunday of Lou Gehrig Day. That's what I'd like to see come out of this. You, you talked about how the government frustrates you, and we, we, you told us about the two years it, 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 for, the, for the, the drug that you're taking. Uh, what, what, what do you want government to do? Well, the problem, it's a forgotten illness, John. You know, uh, 80 years ago, okay, let, let's, let's look, at the, look at it this way. There's a lot of fearless leaders, okay? There's um, the two guys that started the ice bucket challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Made millions. They're both gone. Uh, there is uh, Brian Wallach, who is a king in the States. Uh, I am ALS, and uh, he's a former Obama guy. And... Uh, and he is just such a battler and he's a leader and he's starting to hurt now. Mm -hmm. I'm a member of ALS Action Canada, which is a patient led group, which is strong. And then there's ALS Canada, which is another group. Okay, well, my ALS Action Canada, there's some guys in that group that are starting to hurt. So where I'm going with this is this, you've got these fearless leaders moving along and guess what happens? They pass hope. They build huge momentum, and then they're gone. And then yeah. the next guy comes. Huge momentum, then they're gone. And so that's one of the big problems as to why we haven't broke through. Now, as far as the government goes, uh, the frustrating part is back in 2017, there was a motion put through called Motion 105 because they lost one of their own in the House. And this guy was right. a battler. And what ended up happening is that they put the motion through and they, they said that they would uh, uh, work annually to promote ALS awareness, raise funds and all that stuff. Not one thing was done in the last four years, okay? That's just one of the many things that were promised that just didn't come through. But that's one that, that sticks in my head for sure. So we need to make a dent somewhere uh, we had 26,000 Canadians sign a petition, uh, and the petition was to be taken to the government and said, hey, we need faster pathways. We need these drugs in our body three to six months. And to date, Health Canada turned it down, and nothing's been done about it. So we just keep running into walls, but we got to keep fighting. Hmm. Mark, um, you have, uh, you, you obviously are a fighter. We, um, I know I speak for John. We are, um, uh, it's a devastating thing that you face. Uh, you face it with courage and with dignity. And um, you are to be admired for that in uh, many, many ways. Um, it was so enjoyable to have a chance to chat with you. And um, hopefully we'll have a chance to do it again, maybe many times. And um, let's hope that there is a miracle out there. And, um, I, I know that uh, everybody watching or this or listening to this uh, shares that sentiment. We wish you um, the best health possible. And uh, let's have another conversation real soon, okay? You know what, Bob? Thanks for inviting me, guys, because every little bit helps on the awareness front. And, uh, um, you know, it's all I can say is that uh, be aware that time is a pretty valuable co commodity. Yes, sir. And, and it's often taken for granted. So um, you, you, when you, when you hear a story like this, or you see a story, um, just take a look in the mirror yourself and say, Hey, you know what? It's time to enjoy day by day. Well, well you tell you what, you're a, you're a, uh, you're a good man and uh, your family, you, as you said, the ALS is now something for your whole family. So uh, um, give them a hug for us. And, and I will, uh, let's, I will, let's make, I will let's that. make June a special month. 
Yeah, I will do that, John, for sure. And just a shout out to the sports uh, uh, community as well, because the rallying, I mean, when you ask people for video, short promo videos, and, you know, guys like Wendell Clark, like 20 minutes, it's sent out. It's incredible. All the best, Mark, and thank you for your time today. We, we greatly appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Mark Curtin. We'll come back and wrap this up after these messages. And we are uh, back, Bob McCowan and uh, John Shannon. And again, our sincere thanks to Mark Curtin. Um, the bravery Puts it in perspective, it, doesn't it? Uh, sure does. Everything puts everything into perspective. His uh, bravery is um, extraordinary. It's just absolutely extraordinary. Um, and we, yeah, yeah. we are sincere in hoping that uh, we'll have many more opportunities to chat with him. Um, his analysis of, uh, of hockey at the beginning was pretty good too. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing about Mark is that uh, Mark was, has always been one of the predominant real estate agents in, in, in Oakville. Mm -hmm. uh, 2020 was his best year. That's fantastic. You know, and uh, that puts it, you, you, and you can see, A, how he could, you, you see in the way he worked, how he can sell houses, <laughs> uh, and you can see his fight. So it, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's a remarkable guy, and, uh, and, and uh, his point about, his point about how you, those people who fight for ALS at some point just disappear in the fight the way is something that uh, the rest of us should probably uh, pick up on a great deal more. So it's, uh, that, that's, I'm glad we did that one, Bob. I'm glad we did that one. Uh, as am I. Um, well, you teased the audience at the beginning of this program uh, by saying that uh, they had to wait. More importantly, yeah. I had to wait yeah. for your um, divine opinion of uh, what the Toronto Maple Leafs should do uh, before we uh, extend this program into several hours. Give us the, uh, the, the great analysis of the wonderful Wizard of Shannon. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I do think that, I, I don't think this core can win. Uh, I agree. Uh, the question and, is, what do you do? And I, I, I think you have to look at it from two, two perspectives is who can get you the most coming back uh, and how would you replace them? And I, and I do think that Mitch Marner is the, the guy uh, that uh, would get you the most on the market. Remember, this is a team that even in the short term doesn't have a, I think they only have three draft picks, period, at the, at, at the summer draft. I think you're right. Um, and, and so I, I, think Marner's, I think Marner is the guy that you would, you would try to after you take a sober second thought and look at things and look at things and where this team goes and what you value. And Mitch Marner's the guy that if you had to contemplate moving somebody, it would be, it would be number 16. It wouldn't be the other guys. It would be number 16. And it would open up, you open up in theory, some cap space. And there would be, I think if, if, if Sheldon, if Kyle put the, uh, the shingle out to say, I'm, you know, very quietly Marner's on the market. I think that there would be a long line of people saying we'll take them and they'll, they'll get a King's ransom for them. Well, uh, he would not be my first choice. I've made that clear, but I do understand your position on it. And um, I think one of the reasons that Nylander isn't is because Nylander's contract now looks pretty, pretty stable and he, and he's not expensive compared to the other three. Well, he's seven and the others are 10, five, give or take, you know, I mean, yeah. we're uh, rounding yeah. it off. Yeah. Um, look, if you're going to blow it up and the preliminary consensus seems to be this team isn't going to win with four players at $40 million. Maybe the, the correct answer is both of them. No, um, no, 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 but, no, not Matthew. Well, not Matthew. you can say not no, 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 all you want. I just did. Um, here, here's the other thing. And, and this is where, this is where I think management probably was sit to say, well, listen, we did, we did all this except for 11 minutes with, without John Tavares. You know, I mean, one of the guys who was supposed to be a cornerstone and it was but a free You yourself said earlier they can't win with this group. And now you're, you know, you're backtracking and saying no, that no, the I'm Tavares absence I, I, Okay, I, I'm still moving Marner. I'm still moving Marner. 
I am. Well, I, I, I understand what you're because saying. Because they should be able to win without Tavares, too. Well, I understand what you're saying. I'm moving Nylander, but I'm, I'm making the argument that perhaps if, if you really concede that this team is broken, you're going to move two wingers. You're going to keep your, you're going to keep your two centers because one of the things that hockey people like you have said for, for ever is you have to have strength down strength the middle. Down the middle. Sure. Well, then and you're not getting rid so of you Matthews. keep your two centers and, not you keep, and, and you hope your not. goaltender was not a mirage this year. Because you're probably going to oh. lose um, Anderson. Yeah. And you may not care. But Ooh, that's a good one, too. Um, we'll have uh, plenty of time to discuss uh, this in more detail, <laughs> if that's even possible. Let's get out of here before everybody gets bored, myself included. Thank you, Mr. Shannon, as always. And thank you to Mark Curtin. Uh, 100%. We uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, come back and uh, hear us, see us again tomorrow same time or whatever whatever time you want to right. for john shannon bob mccallum goodbye everybody Bye.